So in all seriousness, um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about communism. Um, and again, I'm, you know, for, for people who are going to come after me with hatchets, I, I, am, I am myself not a, not a communist. But <laughs> I, no, don't I, let the beard I, fool you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, but I, but I, but I, I it, it admire the ability for folks to discuss ideas in a way that just talks about the merit of the idea without without any of the you know emotional baggage of history or the or the 20, 20th century. So you know the first question is is you know obvious, right? You have the 20th, you know, the 20th century, you have the kind of the cultural revolution, Red Guards, et cetera, in China. You had the um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the holodomer in um Holodomar, holodomer in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had the the purges of the you know Soviet military and also just the sending folks to the gulag under yeah. Stalin. And then, you know, a, a bunch of other e- examples um, in Eastern Europe and in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, the obvious question is, is, you know, you, you have a, a huge body count from mm-hmm. 
country, countries that are notionally, you know, describe yeah. themselves as as commun, you know, uh, communism. So, what, in your view, a what went wrong? B was that what's the difference from the kind of application of communism in those particular examples versus what the idealized or you know yeah. what it should be and then the last the last piece is little hope punk vision from Nick Mamata so, uh, yeah, yeah. if that you know in 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 a in a non um kind of dark fiction mm-hmm. kind of noir kind of world like how might it how might it manifest itself so yeah. kind of three broad categories sure. Well, I think something important to note is that in the 20th century, all economies statified. Right, the reaction to the end of open markets and imperialism, and everyone knows imperialism is just what there were there were empires in Africa, they were right. China cut up, you know, Ottoman Empire was inevitably the state had to take over from the market. That's why there were wars for markets. And whether subjugating native peoples or slavery, or uh, colonization, <laughs> the state was capital. And in the 20th century, this increased. Right here in the US, we had the FDR, the New Deal, in Western Europe, social democracy, in Germany, fascism, Italy, fascism. The economy statified while also remaining to market. And the same thing with the Soviet Union. They, say, they statified the economy. The problem is that states are very blunt. Mm-hmm. And yes, millions of people died under Stalin, under Mao. So too did millions of people under, under Churchill. They just happened to be in India, right? Part of the empire. And there was, you know, there were engineered famines in India. And uh, here in the US, of course, there was genocide of Native Americans, uh, slavery. Well, look, there's the Irish potato yeah. famine back in the 18, 18- I mean, they're going back. Oh yeah, the- sure, there you go. I'm going back in a century earlier, but you know, that was engineered too, right? And that's, and, and also, and also imperial, imperial exercise. To do so. So these things are not unique to communism. Now, I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying that capitalism, I'm not saying that the United States in 1955 is just as bad as, as near SSR 1955, because it's not. <clears throat> but when the state is around and you need the state for capital, this is going to happen. So my vision comes to getting into both the state and capital. I don't seek to expand the state. Right, the Soviet, the Marxist idea is, um, or the Leninist idea is, first we'll have the dictatorship of the proletariat, meaning they would take over the state and alter the state. And then when the contradictions between classes vanished, the state would itself vanish. That last part doesn't happen unless you have a particularly anti-statist politics. And my hope is, and where my, my hope punk comes from, an alternative set of histories that we see across the 20th century too. So um, I'm Greek. And uh, the Nazis, of course, invaded Greece and uh, it took them longer than they thought to take over Greece. That is one reason why Germany lost the Second World War because they had a they had a whole division tied up in Greece, delaying the invasion of Russia by six weeks, <clears throat> hitting Russian winter, things went to shit. So, but who kept fighting in Greece? The Greek resistance was primarily communist. Same thing with the Spanish Civil War. It was primarily communist and anarchist fighting for the Republican values in the Spanish Civil War against fascism. And afterward, in Greece anyway, um, Stalin turned on them. 
And Churchill's turned on them. They said, oh, you're heroes. You're great. You did it. You beat, you beat Hitler. Now we uh, flip the coin. Churchill's in charge. He goes in there and says, okay, treat the Greek resistance like they were the enemy, like they were the Nazis. They are enemy invaders, even though they were the native, uh, you know, people of Greece. And the island from which my parents are from was a place of exile, essentially a large concentration camp. <clears throat> what island? What island was that, by the way? Ikaria. So you know where uh, you know the legend of Icaros? Mm -hmm. He landed after his wings melted on Ikaria or, or right offshore. That, that, that is a myth. And you may also know if you follow uh, kind of woo-woo bullshit news, it's a blue zone where people live forever because they uh, drink wine and have sage tea that helps them shit, and it's radioactive. The island's actually heavily radioactive, but in a good way, in that uh, you know you get a, a few more mutations and. Uh, Why is it radioactive? It's it's volcanic. It has like radioactive oh, hot springs, you know that kind of thing. It's not the, it's not like a bomb dropping. It's just that natural radioactivity. So not a pleasant place. Although if you're if you're from there, it's really nice. <clears throat> and uh, you you talked about maybe you talked about this off air, but I also helped translate a book called Kwanju Diary. Oh, Kwanju yeah, is a yeah. town in South Korea. Um, South Korea, as an example of non-communist development, was entirely operated by military dictators since the end of uh, the Korean War. U.S. backed. Of course, the U.S. Uh, has called command of the South Korean military. Not just in the DMZ, but throughout. It is like a, a ridiculous, uh, you know, a broadment of uh, sovereignty. And then there was, of course, also internal, uh, you know, uh, rivalries. So one dictator fell, another dictator rose up in the town of Kwanju. The people rose up. First college students, they were beaten up by the cops so much that their parents came out. Now, now, where, where, where on the Korean Peninsula is this? This town? It's south, it's in Chola, South Chola Province. So toward the south. Okay. Kind of like a industrial strength, but not quite the the leading cities. So imagine Milwaukee. Let's, let's say let's say Kwanju is the Milwaukee of uh, South Korea. So imagine a protest in South in Milwaukee being ruthlessly, brutally uh, put down by the police. So much that everybody else comes out and chases the police away. So the National Guard comes in. South Korea being heavily militarized, every factory uh, has an armory. Mm. And every adult male has uh, military experience. So they arm themselves and fight the National Guard. And for 10 days, they bury their dead. They reorganize the economy. They have huge, massive communal meals. They create their own newspapers, their own structure. They take over the TV stations, the radio stations. And they create like a very small bubble of an anarchist communist society, just organically. There are some real communists there, some real anarchists there, but it was just like, well, we got these dead bodies. Who's going to bury them? Should we have a market for it? Or should we just do it? Right. Yeah. And this happens a lot, like in a general strike situation and in a massive strike situation, people just come together and start volunteering to keep the world going and to change the world. Then, of course, what happened was that uh, the dictator asked Carter, President Carter, um, can we uh, take some troops down from the DMZ? And depending on who you asked, Carter either said yes or said, oh, well, we can't possibly say yes or no because it's your, it's your army, even though, of course, we are the control command. And the most ruthless paratroopers come down and kill thousands and thousands of people. So imagine um, 
special forces operators landing in Milwaukee and killing 10,000 Milwaukeeans. Yeah, not not pretty. Yeah, not pretty. Real, real rough. And that, but that changed everything in South Korea. So eight years later, during the big people's movement, what, what year was this, by the way? Like when? Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Oh wow. Okay. So why does why does why does Carter's leaving? <clears throat> and then eighty eight, they had the the big revolution, the very for the most part peaceful. There was like riots and stuff, but not not uh, tanks rolling through the streets and being taken over. And then you had the first ever elections. And even then, it was like the you know, military remnants were still running the show, and of course, it's still pretty repressive there. And there have been reformers and return to repression, reformers return to repression, and that's what South Korea is like uh, politically. But very active union movement, very active student movement, very active working class movement. And what I see when I talk about the hope punk of communism is places like that, or places like Poland in 1980, resisting Stalinism, resisting so-called communism. <clears throat> they didn't do that thing. Oh, let's have markets. They did that by taking over factories. Oh yeah, so- solidarity, right? It was the exactly yeah, and of course, like well, that's like the right wing of solidarity, but there was a left wing of solidarity too, of solidarność. That did really incredible things for months at a time. And the same thing with Chile. You know, it was a peaceful revolution with Allende, <clears throat> brutally put down by Pinochet. Helicopters, soccer stadiums for the people being killed, and of course, don't get me wrong. You know, Mao did more killings. Stalin did more killings. Absolutely. But what I'm looking at is this alternative 20th century of people resisting the state and capital <clears throat> and creating these micro societies that last just maybe for a few days or a few months or in places years and seeing that generalized. So it's in a way, it's kind of like going back to the 14th century seeing Venice. Like, oh, sure, there's a royalty and nobility and that kind of thing, but there's also stuff going on. People are businessmen. People are trading. They're artisans. There's trade. You know, Venice is the only... European city with a with a with a Arabic name. Hmm, I didn't know that because that, that, that's how much trade there was between the West and the East, running through Venice. And uh, what makes the 21st century interesting is now that we have globalization. <clears throat> now the state is being superseded by other organs, whether it's capital, whether it's people communicating over borders, and that is now. And of course, we have uh, enough computing technology to do a lot of cyberization of markets. And of planning. <clears throat> so when when Amazon's warehouses are bigger than the uh, economies of some countries, and they don't work via markets inside the factories, inside the warehouses, they work via you know algorithm, and then the market tells the algorithm whether they're doing well or not. But we have enough technology that we can't plan the entire economy, but we can plan great hunks of the economy <clears throat> democratically. So at you least. So, so you mentioned you mentioned Amazon. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a thread from a prior um, sure. video that we had. So in a prior video, I interviewed Sean McFate. He wrote a book mm-hmm. called New Rules for War, and he spent some time mm-hmm. as a you know, private military contractor. You might call him a mercenary. American. Yeah. And what his kind of thesis is is that there are the U.S., the United States in particular, are still constantly refighting World War II, but mm-hmm. the United States' adversaries are not looking, you know, not looking at it that way. But independent of that, one of the developments that he was talking about is that there's so many people who have entered the ranks of the Uber rich that now mm-hmm. they're starting to be able to hire the same capability that nation states mm-hmm. once could. Oh, sure. So 
How does this fit in this conversation? The question for you is, given that trend, it's as if the state is potentially, not necessarily yet, but is potentially being supplanted by this kind of the Uber corporation or Uber oligarch. In Russia, it's like Uber. Of course, all oligarchs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as an example, the Internet Research Agency is controlled by the same person uh, who controls the Wagner Group, which is their set of mercenaries. Yeah. So in your vision, how do you get around that fact when you talk about Amazon? There's an interesting Amazon. article in The New Yorker about this. <laughs> A bunch of billionaires were discussing this rather openly. And they thought, well, how can we, if we have to retreat to New Zealand and to our private islands, <clears throat> with our security forces, how do we get the security forces not to kill us and just take our stuff? You don't. <laughs> well, yeah, that's basically, basically, and that's what you know. And it comes down to that. They're thinking, oh, what if we, what if we had the food locked, and I had to use my hand to open up so people can get fed? Well, actually, that actually makes them more likely to kill you. Well, and it also that <laughs> door, the door is down, right? Yeah. There's also a whole other game. So you know, back in the time of Machiavelli, like there was a whole. Um, art behind this, right? Yeah. So if you had mercenaries, you had to find, you might have to hire counter mercenaries to kill them sure. if they, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you can bribe your enemy's mercenaries to kill you. Like it gets yeah. really complicated. And again, Sean McFate, the person I'm talking about, touches on all these things, but, you know, how do you get around that dynamic? Well, how do you know when a revolution is going to win? When, when people won't, when the tanks won't move? Yeah. Look at Tiananmen Square in China. Of course, it ended up, ended up the tanks did move and destroy all those people. <clears throat> but they had to go for another province. Their first set of attempts to militarize and to uh, smash that uh, movement failed and increased the movement. It was like, I'm not going to kill my neighbors. Right. So they had to find somebody, they had to find other divisions with a different language, a different uh, ethnic background to come in, and those people destroy Tiananmen Square. And the same thing happens all the time. Like, why, you know, why did the Berlin Wall fall with all the military they had and all the things? Forget it. We're not doing it. Yeah. Go in there and, and lock them up. Nope. So what will happen to the billionaires? Well, have you met a billionaire? Are they even as charismatic as a Saddam Hussein? No, not no, really. I've met one in my life personally. And he was probably in the bottom five of human beings I've ever. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you, how do you solve the mercenary problems by having true believers? So what do, what do the Islamic terrorists do? They, they get some seventeen-year-old kids like, oh, you, you are the best kid. You're just being held down. Oh, I am great. And they, and they fool them. And the same thing with many militaries. Like, do you want to be a strong man? Do you want to be this? Yeah, I do. Wait, we're going to teach you how to wake up at five in the morning and make the bed. And maybe arrive a tank, but maybe you're going to be playing the trumpet, or maybe taking photos at the at the base for ID cards. But we we sell them something else. We sell them a spectacle of uh, of being part of something greater than themselves. Mercenaries don't have that. They think, oh, I'm, I'm here for the bucks. I'm here for this sort of thing. And of course, whatever personal reasons they have, and but the user skills might be truncated otherwise. So true believers, and my, my interest is in how well these change rapidly and right away. Mm. So if you look at Iran in the early 70s, they had, they had wine industry, they had miniskirts, they had disco. And then? And then, like that, like that, faster than anybody could, could have imagined. And there was a fight, too. I mean, there, were, there was a strong left in Iran that was to help the Shah help destroy. And maybe he shouldn't have, because then 
he could have had an ally or he could have been surrounded by people who were nicer than uh, the Ayatollahs and the Mullahs. So part of my writing is not putting out any particular idea, but the idea of ideas. That, hey, not everything's what you think. And here are some other things that have happened in the past <clears throat> that you can contemplate and take for yourself and uh, make decisions about. Well, even even watching the collapse is not the right word, but the 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 massive weakening in the mm -hmm. power of kind of the mainstream media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but part of it is influenced. So Washington Post, right? It's owned by it's owned by Jeff Bezos. That's right. And how many editorials are about, hey, billionaires are great. Don't tax them. Yeah, so so even and papers are always like this, like we we live in the Bay Area. The Hearst fortune is from the SF Chronicle and all his papers that he owned. He like he created a war. He wanted a war. And he made one. Yeah, yellow journalism. Yeah. Right. That's what records all that way, way back yeah. in the yeah. um yeah, so it's but the plus side now is that even though we have the post and the times, we also have ourselves. Every tweet's a press release. Every Facebook post is a uh, is a white paper. And of course, we have people who are saying that you know, oh, JFK is coming back to Dallas. You'll see the numerology fits. So we got a lot of garbage and trash, which is why it's important to like be educated and know uh, things. Go. So part of why uh, I recommend books like The Second Shooter is that it kind of a uh, inoculates you against certain things yeah and that's the other thing too there's just there's so much media now that yeah. you have to be i found even again um myself if i really want to know what's going on i'll call somebody yeah. who's, who's closest to it and then most of the time they'll corroborate the mm -hmm. majority yeah. of things are being reported but there'll, there'll also be times when it's yeah. just you know it's not it's it's not what's really happening and I just recommend, like, if you read an article, think about the article and how it would have been written before the internet. Yeah. Would there have been one source or two sources? Or more. Would, yeah. Would the headline have been uh, generated to, for clicks or would it have been generated for uh, a summary? <clears throat> Who said what when? This kind of stuff. In the old days, it used to be, listen, some person said this happened. And another person said... Much of this happened, but now it's just, oh, here's a tweet we found. And that's an article. <clears throat> and so you're down to one source journalism and you're down to everyone's press releases being journalism and everyone's random thought being a, a press release. As an example, so extremely at, chaotic. As an example, look at the title of this segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the beginning of this segment is, you know, this is, this is, this is, we're talking about ideas about ideas, right? Yeah. And that's that's exactly. my head coming down next to Stalin. That means something, right? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, 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 how could you know? How would you see this playing out if it were to play out? Right. If it's it's a it's obviously a bottoms up uh, movement that you're talking about, and and yeah. you know, back in the 20th century, you really didn't have. I don't even. It may have been possible. It may have been possible on a micro scale, like you talked about yeah. in your example yeah. in South Korea, but in you know, given the technology that exists today, it's increasingly possible. It's, and it's, it's more a question of self-organizing, right? Yeah. People are able to self-organize in a much easier way. Now, the state can still 
also has tools to Oh, it's still extremely powerful, obviously, yes. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so it would have to be necessarily anti-statist uh, as well as an anti-capital accumulation uh, movement. But I think uh, objectively, we can do much of it now with current AI and current uh, communication networks. <clears throat> Except, of course, that the state owns many of them. So it'll involve a lot more suspicion of the state. Without that becoming a reaction or suspicion of the state, we're saying, well, like like vaccines, right? <clears throat> These vaccines are actually fine. They're not experimental. Experimental is just something that is put on as a list of things and then it moves to another list. We know it's not experimental because it is the same vaccine with one little change from the SARS vaccine that was developed years ago. Mm. Have you seen SARS around lately? Nope. No, there's, there's your live laboratory experiment that the vaccines work as SARS <clears throat> was a menace. And the vaccine came quickly and before it spread. And now we don't think about SARS anymore. It's like a, not even an old joke. That SARS was very similar. It's like, oh, it's killing people, but it's also mostly for the most part, you, you lie down, you, you get sick, and you, you get back up. COVID is kind of the same, except it spread too quickly. And there's too much suspicion of vaccines across the U.S. and and even across the world. And, you know, 50 years ago when the polio vaccine came out and that kind of thing, nobody thought, oh, fuck that. No, I'm not getting a polio vaccine. I'll take my chances. Oh, everybody. You couldn't keep them yeah. out of the hospital to get the polio vaccine. They loved it. And, of course, there are many things the state messed up here. Oh, don't wear masks. They don't work. Oh, I guess we do ask. Oh, you, you found a test for COVID. Don't use it. Yeah. You found, something, you, you found a treatment yeah. that, that works for some people. Don't, <clears throat> don't, don't publicize that. Like we'll yeah. deplatform you for that. Mm -hmm. um, and now, some of those, now, now some of the stuff was kooky. Some of the stuff was kooky, yeah. crazy stuff sure. that yeah was was dangerous. But the it, it's very clear that this generate the generation in power doesn't really understand that you know in a crisis credibility is everything. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, as an example, we'll take we'll take your your first example with Fauci. Right. He. Yeah. In the very beginning, he said, oh, you don't really have to. And, and my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there was basically a run on the bank on all the PPE for medical professionals. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he was, exactly. kind of, he was kind of downplaying that so that <clears throat> there would be enough for them. And the problem with a health crisis like this is you only get one chance to tell the truth. That's right. Right. And, and after that. Said, and it's really the Surgeon General as well. And they really just should have just said, we need these masks for doctors. You know what? Do anything. You got a scarf? Wear a scarf. You got a mask from the wildfires out here in California? Wear that mask. <clears throat> but don't just go, oh, mask, mask. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's. And people did do it. And people did anyway. Like every Etsy store started selling masks. People said, oh, I do need a mask. And they'd found some version of a mask, whether it was a bandana they had or an old mask they had or desperately trying to make their own masks. And people were very good at making masks too. And the same thing with cancellations. Here in the Bay Area, people were canceling things long before the shutdown happened. Right. Into February, like, oh, let's cancel this concert, let's cancel this, let's not take a chance. So people are relatively intelligent <clears throat> and for the most part will do things unless somehow the world is poisoned and now everyone, everything is so suspicious. Oh, there's no COVID, it's a planademic. It's a fake-edemic. Jesus is my vaccine. Speaking of the God who's brought down so many plagues. I yeah. promise there's so much terror. What's one of the four horsemen again? Pestilence? Yeah. Yeah. That, and again, it's, it's, 
<laughs> and then there there are some people who took it so far, <laughs> so far where the, like they're still like you'll go out for a hike and they're still wearing masks in em- an empty park. Yeah. Right. Like so some like there, there's a certain personality type that was just completely traumatized oh, by yeah. the experience. And um which is fine. Like I if you want to wear a mask, right? Like in the park. It's not hurting anybody to wear a mask, so you may as well. But uh there's only people who are like, I'm wearing a mask to show that I care about people. Really? I'm wearing a mask, so I don't give anybody COVID in case I have it. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was uh, an interesting experience, but it it definitely my worry is is the way government handled this epidemic is mm-hmm. the next time something that's a little bit more virulent comes out, mm-hmm. the responses and it didn't help that leaders were not practicing what they were preaching like that. Oh, that yeah. also right. that also irritate like it irritated me to 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 no end right mm-hmm. um, yeah so and anyway like Newsom or Boris Johnson the UK yeah having yeah well, uh, Ted Cruz did. Same thing. He like flew to where do you fly to? He flew to like Mexico. Like this is this is like That's an right. equal opportunity. Like you know, politicians. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, anyway, so so in that sort of environment, how does it take take root? You know, is it going to? Well, actually, the, the one thing I didn't talk about is what about private property, my friend. How does this fit into? There's a distinction between private property and personal property. Okay, so, so house is personal property. A factory can be a factory is private property, and a factory has no use if there's nobody in it making stuff, or an office has no use if there's nobody in stuff making stuff. <clears throat> so we look at when economies collapsed, like Argentina's economy collapsed <clears throat> some years ago, and the response was in some cities was, we know we're going to take over the factory. The factory had a value according to the banks of zero because it was they locked it up and there's no one to use it, but they the workers just Popped things open, took it over, and started it back up. Same thing in Greece with other huge economic collapse. <clears throat> Very big tourism economy. All these hotels were empty. People started taking over the hotels. And they used them for everything from, you know, medical clinics, housing for homeless people, housing for refugees, supplanting and improving upon the state function <clears throat> by having a function that is like a state, but without the needs of the state. What is the state for? The state is for the accumulation of capital. You can't accumulate too much capital without a state. So the state is for that. We create, we, people create states so that they can uh, accumulate capital. Now, is there a role for the state? Truncated. Like, they, will there still be sewer systems? Uh-huh. You can't, uh, you can't just say, oh, come on, let's go dig a sewer. You have to have expertise. Right. You know, the tragedy of the commons, too. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not, they can do it. I don't want to deal with it. Or even worse is like, I'm gonna do it. You know how? No, <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> but here I go. If I dream it, it'll come true. It'll work. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so there'll be there'll be a role for governance, which is different than a state. People often use the example of a conductor at an orchestra. Right. The conductors have a gun, saying, "You better play that note." We agree that that guy's good at conducting, and I'm good at playing the violin, and he's gonna point, and I'm gonna. So, 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 what you're saying is the state would enforce contracts? Not necessarily. It's very, it's very Nozickian, like libertarian. <laughs> well, like we were saying, like you know, is full communism and the a total free market the same? Yeah. There's an interesting guy named uh, Kevin Carson who has a little pamphlet about this. 
where it's called like either, you know, it's like the name of my story. What's it called? <laughs> the free market as full communism or full communism as the free market. It's, it's one of those two things. Just Google it. It'll pop up. Okay. Very so so you're kind of saying it's so far left that it goes to the, to, to the right, but. I'm the, just saying that. The economic. The economic. It boils down to what you look at. Yeah. Like is the family a contract? Is your marriage a contract? On some level it is. No. <clears throat> but of course there are marriages long before there are contracts. There are pair companies and families long before there are contracts. Now, because we live in a capital world, we think, oh, you're getting your allowance, do your chores. You do this, I do that. We both have a vow, a promise. You know, in Greek Orthodoxy, in ancient kind of Christianity, there's no vows in a marriage. Hmm. There's no promises. And the vow and the, the ceremony is, hey, God, are these two married or not? Let's just say you said yes. You're married. <laughs> There's not even a moment where you get married inside the Greek Orthodox, I think. And this is very ancient. Now, of course, more modern marriage ceremonies have, do you promise this and this? Do you have your list? I've got my list. Okay, we're agreed. It's like a merger between two people. So you're telling me there's And so those things change. Well, those things will change as, as the economy, the underlying economy changes. Now, do you think once you change the underlying economy, there's also – associated social change that oh i mean that's not even that's trivially true trivially so what here's one quick thing the birth birth control pill the people start fucking before marriage a lot more after the birth control pill yep but they have the pill sold that way it's like hey hey here's birth control pill now it's time everybody no that wasn't how i sold it just happened yeah and then also the birth rate in kind of the Mm -hmm. More developed countries has gone yeah. way down. It actually might be a problem. There might yeah, be too few people. In Japan, it's certainly a problem. Yeah. Oh, and same thing with China. The <laughs> same yeah, same yeah. thing, and it will be an issue for the United States because we're mm-hmm. not, yeah. um, you know, developed. These developed countries are not having as many. No, no. In Russia, I think the, <laughs> the men diet like on average at like age 50, 45 because they're drinking vodka. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Yeah. I shouldn't stereotype. But uh, but. but uh, no immigration and declining borders. We get rid of the state. We get rid of the borders. Things can uh, be rejigged pretty, not easily, but uh, pretty fundamentally. Thank you very much, Nick, for taking time mm-hmm. out of your busy schedule. Uh, yep. I'm looking forward. I'm watching to- wrestling on TV. Yeah, that's my busy schedule. <laughs> oh, is that is that is that was 9:30? Yeah, yeah. I got It's the main event coming. <laughs> All right. Um, I will <laughs> soon, and and this will be this will be posted in the next few. All right. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank I'm you very much to it. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.